This is the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with world-building warrior Angeline Trevina and the queen of flawed protagonists, H.B. Line. Every week we bring you discussions on the craft of writing, author life and business and interviews with some of the industry's most unstoppable authors. A writer's life doesn't have to be solitary. We're here to bust that myth, support you on your journey and encourage you to be unstoppable. Welcome to episode number 68 of Unstoppable Authors. Today we are talking about ways to reanimate classic horror monsters. We've had no new patrons this week, but we do want to say a huge thank you to our existing patrons. Your support absolutely means the world to us. Patrons get early access to episodes, exclusive behind-the-scenes access to our off-air banter, as well as the warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so for just £3 a month. That's right, patrons can now pay us in pounds or euros at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. So before we get into the topic today, we're going to give our personal updates. Um... So <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, yeah, I've been busy with these uh, launches of my books. Uh, my, in fact, as you're listening to this, uh, it will be launch day um, for book three in my series. Um, it's fine. I don't have loads to do. It's fine. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm saying that so much at the moment. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm a tad overwhelmed don't mind me um never do a rapid release that would be my my number one takeaway my advice to authors from this experience don't do it <laughs> just don't do it it's a bad idea um but yeah no so that's that that's happening uh and thank god I have an assistant because she is picking up so much of the work actually and I, I couldn't do it without her so I'm so glad I made the investment this year to hire an assistant. Um, I've been batching a load of podcast interviews. I've done three so far this week. I've got two more coming up in the next few days. Um, and that is basically to, so that I have, you know, six months worth basically of um, <laughs> podcast interviews in the bank so that I don't have to worry about lining those up and doing those for a while. Um, and I'm attempting to get ready for NaNoWriMo. <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, and one of the things I've decided to do this year is I have signed up for Daniel Wilcox's NaNoWriMo bootcamp, um, where he's basically going to be doing writing sprints over Zoom uh, twice a week and um, sending motivational messages um, along the lines of, and get up bitch and write some words um so yeah I think I might need that this year so I decided to to take the plunge and do that um if you would like to join up 
um, you can do so at danielwilcox.com forward slash bootcamp. And um, if you say my name, you get a fiver off, just saying. Um, <laughs> so yeah, come and join us for bootcamp because that's going to be a lot of fun uh, and hopefully really helpful. So that's my update for the week. How about you, Angela? Yeah, that, does, that does sound very helpful for anyone trying to complete NaNoWriMo next month which I am not <laughs> I, I will not be doing it this year and the reason I will not be doing it is that literally the in the last few days I have finished my first draft of my current work in progress called Silkwash and yay first draft done Congratulations. <laughs> yay. which of course means that for me November will be an editing month so yeah, I, that is why I will not be partaking in NaNoWriMo this year. I need a rest. <laughs> I need a rest. Um, well, you know, well, obviously, when you say rest, of yeah. course there is no rest. I, I'm having a writing rest because all the different, when you're an indie author, you have so many different things that you have to do as part of your business. And they, they it is like stretching different muscles, isn't it? Mm. You know, and writing muscles the energy needed to write a first draft is very different to the energy needed to do other stuff so yes I am I am having a writing rest <laughs> I feel I need it, and I deserve it so yeah I, I think you're very sensible and in some ways I really wish I was doing that um because we kind of have a big thing happening at the end of November we do yeah it's a it's a bit big <laughs> bit big so um for anyone who has missed the news prior to this we have decided to host our indie fire writers conference online due to the restrictions uh here in the uk we cannot have the event that we had wanted to have so rather than sack the whole thing off um which we really didn't want to do because we've already put in so much work we decided to put it all online um however this has you know resulted in a whole load of other work that we now have to do <laughs> um because we had pretty much we were all sorted for may weren't we there was very little we, we still needed mm -hmm. to do everything was lined up and then we had to postpone um and now we're moving it online there's you know building a website to host everything on pre-recording all of the content we've suddenly got a whole load of work that we hadn't intended to do <laughs> yes <laughs> so, so november might be a tad busy um but it's gonna be amazing angeline what it have is. we got for people oh we have so much we have a whole load of panel discussions on all kinds of different areas of um indie authoring so everything from author mindset to um story structure and we have a whole heap of workshops again on all sorts of things we have some which will be pre-recorded and available for replay whenever you want to play them and we also have some live workshops on the day that you can actually attend and participate in which is going to be freaking awesome mm -hmm. yeah so we're both doing a live workshop each we uh, are I'm going to be doing a session on uh, planning for 2021, uh, some goal setting stuff. Um, so, because this is the perfect time of year to have a think about what's coming up 
next year what's on the horizon and make a plan um because plans are good (laughs) (laughs) they are indeed and i am doing a workshop on creating fantasy worlds of course (laughs) obviously now you can sign up just for individual workshops they are priced at eight pounds each however we highly recommend you get the all access ticket for 20 pounds which will give you access to absolutely everything all the panels all the workshops you can come to the live workshops as well um, for that price so it's by far the best value and as Angeline said, you will have lifetime access to all of that pre-recorded stuff. And um, we're also going to be doing something a little bit special in our Facebook group. So on the 28th of November, which is when the live content will happen, we are recording an episode of the podcast with an audience. Absolutely so, live and on yeah. video as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It will be us and some guests and we're going to be talking about world building and lots of fun stuff. So you can join our Facebook group, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash we are unstoppable authors. Join the group and you will be able to access that live recording. Absolutely. Now, a little bit different for our question of the week, which we would normally have here. Um, The panel discussions that we have lined up for Indie Fire. We are going to be posing the topics on our social media and we would love to hear your questions which we will then put to our panelists. So check us out on Facebook and Instagram if you want to get involved and leave some questions to be asked during the panels. So yeah, Facebook and Instagram, just search for Unstoppable Authors and you will find us. And we're going to be putting a whole load of uh, opportunities to ask questions throughout the following week. Yes. And um, also a big thank you to the sponsor of Indie Fire, which is Your First 10,000 Readers, the course by Nick Stevenson. Um, We're really, really grateful for Nick's support in helping us to bring this event to you. Um, especially now that we're you know having to rely so much more on technology um Mm -hmm. so yes a big thank you to our sponsor absolutely (laughs) so on to our topic for today and seeing as we're right up to halloween now we wanted to do a halloweeny episode Mm. and (laughs) we so we are talking about how to indeed reanimate classic monsters how to do something different with them Mm. um so i thought we'd kick off with what were our first sort of introductions as children or teenagers to all the classic monster tropes Mm. and uh it it was actually my very late teens that i read these books um late teens just probably tipping into my 20s i was absolutely obsessed with the Nightworld series of books by L.J. Smith and they have just about like every classic monster you can imagine they have all kinds of different shifters and vampires and witches you know it's absolute classic teen urban fantasy stuff mm-hmm. uh, I yeah I was completely obsessed so much so that uh one of the characters in it i kind of adopted her name and used went 
I was kind of known by her name in mm. certain circles for several years. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was sort of my my big first introduction to the the classic monsters and yeah, been pretty in love with them ever since. Mm. So I think I was thinking about this and trying to go back as far as I could. And I think my first introduction was a book of uh, short stories about ghosts that I got from the school library. Um, I can only really remember one of the stories now because it really stayed with me. It was incredibly intense. And, you know, it was one of those like where I had to kind of close the book and hide it. So I couldn't see it for a while. <laughs> so I think I must've been 10, I think it was in the last year of primary school. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to ghosts. And I got a little bit obsessed, just a little bit. Um, I've mentioned on the show before about Ghostwatch TV special that aired here in the UK, um, which really broke the mold was, incredible but we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later on but that was a big influence on me um and then Dracula I must have read Dracula when I was about 14 um yeah about then I think I read Frankenstein around the same time um and obviously they are like the classics <laughs> um when it comes to uh, vampires and sort of zombie you know monster type creatures um and then I got into films I watched a lot of horror films um Interview with a Vampire was another one which I saw <clears throat> I was not yet 18 <clears throat> um yeah I must have been about 13 when I saw Interview with a Vampire um and that got me into vampires as well uh and I read a lot of point horror um mm -hmm. a lot of point horror when point I was like horror. 11 yeah. <laughs> yeah 11 or 12 um so there were vampires and werewolves and all sorts in those books so I had quite a good comprehensive grounding uh in my like <laughs> pre-teen and early teens in the classic horror monsters yes I do remember a lot of teen witches in those point horror books <laughs> yeah <laughs> so well, let's talk about one of the really big ones vampires obviously a quite a big obsession of yours Holly mm -hmm. <laughs> now obviously with when it comes to vampires I think probably everyone's first thought that springs to mind is the classic very um good looking sort of aristocratic kind of vampire thing and that's what I absolutely love about um, the movie 30 Days of Night which obviously comes from the graphic novels um, the vampires in 30 Days of Night are like the absolute opposite of the <laughs> aristocrat uh, idea of a vampire they are they're very much more like zombies they really are they are animalistic they are feral they are driven purely by hunger and the desire to fill their stomachs and that's what I absolutely love about that movie you know it does it just does something so totally different with the vampire whole idea um which I think there, there is so much to do with the vampire 
sort of character, you know, and there are so many examples of different things being done with it. But yeah, people always come back to that sort of like classic idea of the good looking vampire, don't they? Yeah. And obviously it's it's a trope. Oh, excuse me. Um, Yeah, it's a pretty standard trope. Um, The good looking, charismatic character who lures in their victims by charming them maybe hypnotizing them these are all you know staples going back to Dracula um but yeah I love it when people twist it on its head um from dusk till dawn was a spectacular film I mean cheesy as hell (laughs) oh Um, yeah (laughs) but um yeah like these you know biker bar hogging vampires and ugly like when they transformed they became very ugly and yes you know not at all attractive (laughs) yeah and you know very bat-like and yeah um yeah and the whole you know it being um I can't remember where it's set but it's obviously it's like the southern states or central America is it Mm -hmm. just over the border I can't remember um so it's obviously hot bright you know, it's it's a far cry from Whitby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, really twisted it on its head. Um, and there was another one. There was another film I've just remembered, and now I can't remember what it's called. Um, you talk, Angelina, and I will. I will. Google. <laughs> yeah, one one of the other vampire movie franchises that I absolutely love is the Underworld franchise yes I know lots of you will be groaning because (laughs) generally people don't enjoy those movies and but I tell you what it was for me like when right at the beginning of the very first movie um, we have Kate Beckinsale on top of that building and she jumps off and just drops down so cat-like and she lands in a crouch and then just stands straight up without having to like steady herself or like regain her balance and that that grace and that cat-like ability is one of the things that really attracts me to like I like that kind of vampire Mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah yes I'm sure many of you will be groaning at the idea of underworld (laughs) But I, I, I'm well known for loving movies that the rest of the world hates. <laughs> so, <laughs> eh, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, um, I, Underworld was was brilliant, and um, obviously they dealt with werewolves as well, which yes. we will also and, talk and about. And hybrids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, what some people perhaps are not aware of um, is that. Underworld was, um, it bore a striking resemblance to uh, a set of role-playing games, uh, which is the World of Darkness. Um, And there was actually some legal action um, behind the scenes and there was a settlement, which nobody's allowed to talk about. Um, But yeah, so um, I was really influenced when it comes to vampires by the vampire game within the World of Darkness, which was Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, it later got rebranded and relaunched as Vampire Requiem and uh, I used to play that I used to play Masquerade with my friends and um, 
so that was a big influence on me and the great thing that they did in that game is they gave you a whole range of different kinds of vampire templates so you had the more classic you know charismatic good looking kind of vampires but then you had like the Nosferatu clan which was like like Nosferatu like the classic yeah. <laughs> horror film um very monstrous you know um inhuman um and then a whole range of other things in between so yeah that was I thought a brilliant way to broaden one's like perspective on players mm. so yeah I apologize if you can hear my cats hissing and growling <laughs> in the background but we'll just pretend that that's Halloween sound yeah. effects <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yes yeah, so you did make something you said there just made me think that's the thing with um in the Bram Stoker's Dracula movie um he is both isn't he 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 mm. plays at times he's sort of like the Nosferatu sort of character he also shapeshifts mm. but then at other times he's the typical good looking aristocratic man as well so yeah he actually plays lots of different sort of um images mm. of Dracula which is quite interesting yeah I cannot remember uh, ah, near dark. That's it. Near dark. <laughs> Got there in the end. Yes, near dark was um, another vampire film that really um, sort of twisted the genre on its head a bit. They were really um, sort of. Um, I got to try and think of the right words, but um, you know, kind of like wandering. You know. Um, oh nomads oh there we go God. <laughs> sorry I'm a bit slow today um yeah they were like sort of nomadic and um kind of trashy and you know just weird like just weird it's just really different so yeah mm. that that's a good one worth checking out it's it's quite old it's quite dated now it was made in the 80s but that's a cracking film yeah that does sound cool yeah mm. So anything else you want to say about vampires? Yeah, it's a series of books, the House of Night books, um, which are sort of YA um, vampire um, stories. And again, they're quite, they're quite different. You, they're not, um, people don't become vampires via a bite. They are basically born vampires, um, mm. but they don't change until like they reach puberty or a bit older. Um, and they have to go off to the school where they get taught how to, you know, how to be vampires. And, um, and it incorporates witchcraft as well. So they have these sort of rituals that they do. And over the course of the series, it all get, you know, wanders away from that initial premise. But um, there's some, some really interesting stuff in there, really, you know, some blending, you know, of different classic horror creatures and ideas and yeah yeah I, I like that idea that they reach puberty and then they sort of do the change because vampires can be problematic in the the idea that they stay the same age um we see that in um 
interview with the vampire of course mm. you know they have they have a child as a vampire yeah and she will always um be a child you know and be viewed as a child you know obviously she comes to a tragic end but mm. if she was 500 years old people would still see her and treat her as a child the other problem you have with vampires especially in the sort of YA area is the age difference mm. you know you are you're having maybe men who are actually thousands of years old um courting girls who are barely legal mm. and uh, <laughs> yeah the it's it's about the power dynamic you know and the amount of experience that each of those characters have coming into a relationship together and I think a lot of the time it's just kind of washed over and ignored isn't it? it's like <laughs> let's just not focus on that but I I'm seeing a lot more conversations online about the problems of that and I think um I think people are becoming more aware of the potential problems in in that so yeah vampires can definitely be problematic to yes. to write about yeah, yeah see I can kind of speak from experience on this one because my vampire suspense uh novel it it was going to be a series it might not be anymore um in the blood has that has the big age gap and also it is kind of an abusive relationship which is why I don't describe it as romance um and I think part of me wants to go back and write the next book to try and you know unpick that and mm. go go into that and expose the problems with it um I always knew you know my main female protagonist would not end up with him long term I knew I wanted to you know give her a different romantic interest as the series progressed um and probably in all honesty kill him off um you know just because you 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 know it, there comes a point where a character has done too many bad things to get a happy ending um <laughs> so yeah um and I I wrote that without too much thought I was going by the tropes you know in the the genre and and I wrote it and I got to the end of it and was like oh actually ugh. Mm. Mm. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, it's ick, it's icky to our modern sensibilities, isn't yes. it? And I yes. think I think we will see a slight shift on that. I think we will start to see more stories actually addressing it mm. or finding clever ways to work around it, rather than the let's just ignore that. <laughs> yeah. So. Do we do we want to talk about Twilight? I I feel like it needs a mention. Yeah, I mean, I I have no authority to talk about Twilight at all. I have read none of the books nor seen any of the movies. So, yeah, I I have no authority on it at all. I'm afraid. Okay, so obviously you you have it's YA. It's about a teenage girl, and she falls in love with a several hundred year old vampire. And of course, what Stephanie Meyer did, she you know really we're talking about you know twisting the classic monsters and giving them something different this is the big example she rather than her vampires being uh, harmed by sunlight 
they they avoid it because when the sun shines on them they sparkle like diamonds and uh, that kind of exposes them as not human um which you know we we look at it now and judge it horribly as how cheesy and awful but actually at the time I recall everyone kind of being oh that's clever you know (laughs) like that's different you know I like it and I think that's why it did so well um but obviously you have the issues with the romance there that it's uh, a uh, an unbalanced romance in terms of power dynamic um and you know again people don't like to talk about this but mm-hmm. he stalks her he is really obsessive he sneaks into her bedroom when she's asleep and you know watches her sleep and he follows her everywhere and actually that's not healthy Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's not romance that's harassment um and she the issue with it is she thinks it's romantic like she she likes it Mm -hmm. um and that's and it's that portrayal of a quite a sinister relationship as something to aspire to and to desire which is definitely an issue um so yeah yeah I think if if we're we're talking about reinventing the genre I think the next evolution will be as you were saying kind of away from those kind of relationships and into more equal and consensual type relationships yeah I definitely think we'll see that okay so that kind of wraps us up on vampires why not end up with the sparkly vampires eh (laughs) (laughs) and let's move on to okay I admit it this is absolutely my favorite classic monster if you've listened to any of the podcasts before you may have already picked up on that but yes let's talk about zombies um (laughs) and I cannot talk about zombies at all without mentioning mentioning the incredible books by M.R. Carey the girl with all the gifts and the boy on the bridge he does something so different with the zombie trope because I see it so often no pun intended but people saying that the zombie genre is dead and that everything that can have been done with zombies has now been done and then somebody comes out with a new book that does something totally different and I love that (laughs) but yeah the the girl with all the gifts boy on the bridge the the zombies are like almost plant-like actually they are almost like plants um they that's where actually where the sort of infestation comes from from plants um and they in the boy on the bridge is actually um sort of it's very different time to the girl with all the gifts and in in the girl with all the great gifts we see a different kind of vampire they're intelligent they are much more human-like they are able to be taught they're actually in in a school in an educational setting they absolutely still have their bloodlust and the second they smell human then they are the classic rabid zombie but if they cannot smell humans they are perfectly like you wouldn't tell them apart from humans and that's a really interesting idea and he plays with that really well 
Mm. Um, another book that does something really different is World, World War Z or Z by Max Brooks. In the the actual zombies themselves are pretty classic, but the format of the book, which is it's written as a whole load of interviews with people who were around at the time of the zombie outbreak so it's it's sort of like um a collection of interviews and it's from the past it's really really interesting the way it's written um which is has very little bearing on the movie <laughs> two, <laughs> two entirely different things um also now I do want to mention the book The Death House by Sarah Pimbra, which may or may not actually be a zombie book. Um, she never stipulates that they are zombies, but um, just I read it as a zombie book. But read it. You won't be disappointed. Buy a big block box of tissues to read it with. <laughs> Believe me that. And I was sobbing. I've never sobbed so hard. <laughs> at the end of a book but yeah I read it as a zombie book um other people may not have but yeah I definitely did mm. um yeah I, and the other one I love is the uh Resident Evil franchise absolutely love those movies yeah I'm not a gamer so I haven't played the games <laughs> but uh absolutely love the movies and yeah, I mean, they they start messing around with like making hybrid creatures and stuff. And yeah, I find I find all that like really, really interesting. That whole whole idea of like bringing zombies into like technology and and like medical side of things and mm. starting to mess with their DNA. Yeah, I find that really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, well. On a similar, I think a similar style to World War Z uh, is a book that I read called Zombie Apocalypse by Stephen Jones, which is, yeah, it's like a compilation of, it's, it's like a record, like a, a file of, of records from the outbreak. So it's got journal entries from a whole range of different characters. Okay. It's got newspaper articles. It's It's got official government files like you know police investigation files and stuff it's so it's a whole sort of mishmash that builds it gradually builds a picture of what happened and how it happened and I thought that was a really really clever way of doing it I really enjoyed that yeah that, that sounds very similar to uh, World War Z so I'm I may have to uh, look that one up yeah. yeah now I'm a big fan of The Walking Dead well I was a big fan of The Walking Dead. It has really gone downhill. <laughs> Just <laughs> saying. Um, <clears throat> I still love the first, you know, sort of six seasons. Um, and I have read quite a few of the graphic novels. Um, not all of them. I've, I've read about the first half. Um, and I think that was, while there's nothing like revolutionary, it's a fairly typical um version of the zombie um it did just reinvigorate the genre i feel like it you know like you were saying it's people are always saying it's dead well people mm -hmm. really were saying oh you know there's nothing new here and then the graphic novel came along and um and you know reignited an interest in 
the genre and obviously the graphic novels did incredibly well um and so it got picked up for tv and the tv series i mean i've rarely seen anything like it the the fan devotion is off the charts Mm -hmm. um and the fact that it has a very successful companion tv series which is like um talking dead which is the sort of analysis the after show party which runs every week and that again is incredibly popular um and you know some quite a number of the stars of the show have been propelled to massive stardom because of it um appearing in you know the Marvel universe and Star Trek universe you know they these actors have gone on to do incredibly big high profile things off the back of it so um yeah I and I think I think what makes The Walking Dead so so good as with most of these sorts of things it's the characters it's the the personal stories which I think I think that's maybe what they've done differently to a lot of zombie stuff that's gone before um you really you get so invested in the characters and you know <laughs> there are there are a lot of upset fans when when people die <laughs> um and you know people some of the fans are very intense about it and you know it's like if you kill off this character that's it i you're dead to me you know um so it's 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 very intense and the viewing experience is incredibly intense and they the showrunners have mastered the cliffhanger like like nothing else I've never watched a show where pretty much every single week you are left kind of going holy shit you know like (laughs) they and especially with the mid-season finales they because I I do hate this about Americans how they take this break in the middle of a season but they all do it um and what the walking dead have done basically every year is left you on a proper like you know okay who just died like you know and you have to wait several months to find out which character it was who just got eaten you know (laughs) it's it's incredible and and they, the way they, they bring new characters in who, again, you get attached to and then they kill them off and then they bring in new people. And it, they they have kept it going for quite some time. And as I say, it has kind of grown stale. An awful lot of the original cast are gone now and they haven't done as good a job recently of building um, the, the viewers' attachment to characters. So I'm just not that bothered about who's left you know mm. so yeah, I've, yeah. I've, i found that really happened with true blood as well by mm. by the last season of true blood i was watching it just out of stubbornness because <laughs> i'd watched all the rest yeah <laughs> okay well, damn it i will finish this but yeah i mean people people keep saying that we're done with zombies but yeah people keep coming out with new things and they're you know they keep coming back they are eternally popular (laughs) which makes me happy (laughs) (laughs) i like zombies i've you know i've written a few um zombie short stories i haven't written a zombie novel yet maybe 
maybe that's one for the future but mm. uh, yes fa- famously I have actually written zombie porn yeah <laughs> zombie, zombie erotica a <laughs> I have a story in an anthology called 50 shades of decay sadly it's no longer available (laughs) it's out of print but yes i have written zombie erotica so you know there's nothing you can't do with the genre (laughs) (laughs) really though (laughs) (laughs) okay let's talk about ghosts so um I mentioned Ghostwatch already and I know I've mentioned it before. Yes, we we may have talked about this a bit before. <laughs> yeah. It just really was influential. You know when just sometimes there is something that has had such a big impact on your life, you can't help but mention it because you know it it's it is what it is. Um so yeah, yes. it was <laughs> it was a TV special um that aired uh in the early 90s uh yeah I was 10 I think nine or ten um but yeah it was pitched as if it was a documentary it was you know it was hosted by Michael Parkinson who was like a talk show host um Mm -hmm. it was and then they had um other people Sarah Green and Matt Smith of people who did um you know they presented they were tv presenters they weren't actors or they weren't known as actors um and it was advertised as if it was going to be a sort of live on Halloween, you know, we're visiting the most haunted house in Britain and we've got people in the studio and we're going to see what happens. Um, and it, people watched it, myself included, believing that it was absolutely real. And what unfolded on the screen was so terrifying because we thought it was real that mm. the BBC had a record number of complaints. <laughs> um, and the the show basically ends uh with it's almost as if there's like a a nationwide seance and this this spirit has been invoked to wreak havoc and it like invades the studio and you the show ends with you thinking that parky is dead i mean like (laughs) he's like a national treasure yeah and we were all like what (laughs) what's going on and of course it was fiction it was all pre-recorded it was they had support cast of actors um so so clever and what a new way of doing ghosts you know Um, yeah it was it was definitely very much the first of its kind and yeah yeah. it was a big cultural phenomenon here in the UK um pretty much everyone of a certain age if you mention ghost watch to them they know Mm -hmm. and yeah I the ghost in the house lived in the cupboard under the stairs and Mm -hmm. you know so many years on I think I was I think I was like 12 or 13 when it aired. I'm now, let's, I'm older <laughs> than that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like like decades later, I still have a t- quite a bad fear of cupboards under the stairs. Mm. They really quite terrify me. And yeah, yeah it's all because of Ghostwatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get in and out of my cupboard under the stairs as quickly as humanly possible. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> and another thing that happened in the show is the the pipes would bang, the you know, the plumbing would which and even now like if our radiators start making a noise, I'm like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> it's pipes. Which <laughs> is what they called the ghost in the house. Um so yeah, so it's incredibly influential and um 
I when we went to Edgelit last year the um creator of Ghostwatch was one of the guest authors there and I was thrilled to get to meet him and go to a workshop with him and um and talk to him and tell him how much Ghostwatch meant to me and he was very <laughs> kind <laughs> I'm sure he gets it all the time um but yeah that was that was awesome I'm really glad I got that experience yeah yeah it was it was yeah something quite quite revolutionary as as was um paranormal activity mm-hmm. that movie when it came out that was something totally different I remember me and my husband went to see it at a very special cinema screening on Friday the 13th mm-hmm. um of course and it, the cinema, it was a very small screen we were watching on it in because it was a preview. It was like a couple of days before the official release. And it was absolutely packed. Every single seat was filled. And when, whenever it switched to the locked off camera at night, I can tell you the entire audience were holding their breath. Mm. That movie absolutely terrified the bejesus out of me. It was so scary. Um the second one yeah not so much they came back with um a good third I haven't watched past that Mm. that's as far as I've seen up to the third one um but yeah that first one it was so new doing something totally different yeah really scared me did it scare you I haven't seen it have you not oh my goodness okay that's that's something we'll have to do we'll (laughs) have to do a watch of that sometime yeah (laughs) I do I have it on DVD so you're all right um so other ghost stories that really scared me the woman in black by Susan Hill um I my first experience was with this was actually the stage production Mm -hmm. when I was doing my theatre studies a level we went to see a stage production of it which was so scary it was so scary they had um speakers throughout the auditorium under the seats <gasps> and the noise so they were blasting noises out throughout the auditorium and oh, cool. oh my goodness it was scary obviously there's been a movie since it two in fact I haven't seen the second one but I have seen the first one with Daniel Radcliffe um I have not yet read the book and I will tell you why I've tried to read the book I got partway through and was too scared to continue. (laughs) (laughs) I have not finished reading the book. It is still on my TV red pile. And one day I will be brave enough (laughs) to actually (laughs) promise. Other really good ghost books which do something very different with the ghost genre is Someone Like Me by M.R. Carey again um, and The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell as well um, those are some really really good ghost stories that really do something original with the genre. Mm. Uh, one of the examples I've got um, it's actually a vampire series the Morganville Vampires um, but the first book um this is so spoilerific I'm sorry spoilers ahead um um the main character is this young girl she's at uni um and she ends up living in this house with this guy uh who you know is good looking and charming and all of that stuff um and spoiler big spoiler big spoiler don't say you weren't warned um 
he turns out to be a ghost, but he's corporeal um, in his own house, but he can't leave his house. And if, is it during, it must be during the day, he, he you know, disappears. So he's only like, uh, you know, seemingly alive at night in his own house. Um, but yeah, that I thought that was really different and interesting. And I hadn't seen ghosts tackled like that before. Um, so that was really good. And um, Dark Matter by Michelle Paver, um, I had forgotten about until just now. That was that is still pretty much the scariest thing I've ever read. Um, really haunting. It's about like an expedition to the Arctic, and um, they stay in this like little shack basically, and they have you know they have huskies, and it's set like in I don't know 100 years ago 150 years ago something like that so there's no technology modern technology and you know no phones nothing like that and this guy ends up basically alone in this haunted shack um and it's you know the wind rattling at the you know the cabin and the dogs going crazy and it just is the scariest thing I've ever read in my life and there were times where you know because I do basically all my reading in bed at night before I go to sleep <laughs> and there were times where I'd, I'd put the book down and I'd have to wake my husband I mean like I need you to hold me uh, I can't sleep I'm really scared um yeah so that was absolutely brilliant um and then I want to give a, a shout out again to uh, our friend Dan uh, Daniel Wilcox has just compiled an anthology of ghost stories called The Other Side. It's literally just come out. I'm still waiting for my copy to arrive, um, but that looks like it's got some fantastic stories in. Again, all kind of different perspectives and exploring, you know, ghosts and the afterlife. So I just wanted to give that a mention. Um, so yeah, oh, I love ghosts. Ghost stories. <laughs> yeah, go ghosts are a really, really great genre, and there are so many different ways to do them. I mean, we've seen movies like Sixth Sense of course which, which was a really big one and the others as well um both of those movies really they literally twist it on its head don't they they, they yeah. literally turn it upside down um yeah Ghosts is a real classic um you will always get scares with ghost stories and I mean one of the best things about them is that they can't be killed mm. <laughs> can't kill a ghost so that for me is generally why ghosts are scarier than any of the other kind of monsters for me because you can't you can't kill them yeah so <laughs> yeah <clears throat> right so next up we have werewolves Yes. Um, and yeah, I'd love, I have to mention the movie Dog Soldiers. I really, really love that movie. Again, it does something very, very different with the genre, um, puts it into a military setting, which mm -hmm. is, is really, really interesting because, of course, um, werewolves, we, what we, we all know about werewolves they are they hunt like wolves um it's pack formation they are very very organized now they are up against a group of soldiers who also have a lot of group fighting tactics and it's just 
it's a really interesting movie the way they pitch those two different groups of tactical pack fighters to against each other really really good movie yeah like it and of yeah, course underworld yeah. which we've already mentioned yeah. yeah i haven't seen dog soldiers yet it's one of those films that has been recommended to me over and over again for years and years and i've just never made the time to watch it so yeah we're gonna have to have a big we're gonna have to have a movie weekend (laughs) (laughs) good idea um so yeah i i liked what underworld did with the werewolf um obviously they're called lichens um Mm. but we all know they're werewolves okay they're not fooling anyone um yeah i liked the the history that they gave them as well that they went into into the with the subsequent movies yeah. um and made them you know sort of tragic romantic yeah. characters um which i hadn't really seen done before mm-hmm. um yeah they took on kind of the typical vampire character didn't they in that mm-hmm. you know the tra- yeah like you say the tragic romance yeah really clever yeah um yeah you were saying about um you know werewolves being you know working in packs and everything fantastic contradiction to that that i have is the last werewolf by glenn duncan um which is exactly what it sounds like um here's the last one and he's on his own and he is just sort of trying to stay hidden and get by um but he's also contemplate because he's um what glenn duncan did was make um, werewolves immortal uh, like vampires so he has lived an incredibly long life um, and he's fed up and he's on his own and is contemplating suicide and it's it's an exploration of of that and what he goes through and you know whether he will change his mind or not it's um, That's so sad yeah yeah it's it's a really really good Aww. book it's really <laughs> interesting and different um, and then I'm going to shamelessly talk about my own books. Um, <laughs> so my Shifters of Curtain series um, feature, well, all my books um, feature shapeshifters, including werewolves. So they're grouped together and I don't ever call them werewolves in the books, but um, some shifters, when they turn for the first time under a full moon, they become wolves. Um, so they can... Well, I think what I did that was a bit different is that they have multiple forms. So they can take the form of just an animal, just a you know basic wolf, but they also have a sort of monster fighting form um, that's more like the kind of um, monster werewolf, you know, the um, be- big bestial bipedal, you know, great big teeth kind of monster. Um, and yeah so but again I used the pack the whole pack um system so they all work together and um there is one pack in Curtin who are all wolves they don't accept anyone who's not a wolf shifter so if anyone turns on their territory and becomes one of the other kinds of shifters they ship them out and kind of donate them to other packs um because they're like they're old school and they just want to be they just want to be werewolves man um, <laughs> so yeah so I think I did something a bit different with the uh with that particular monster I like to think anyway um it might just be the things the media that I consume but 
I have got to say that I probably see werewolves less feature less than the other monsters that we've talked about. Mm. Um, but yeah, it might just be that they're not on my radar as yeah. much. But um, but sh- I mean, shifters definitely in general. Mm. Um, but again, I think you know werewolves come with the with their own problems again like one is do they when they shift back to human are they naked (laughs) (laughs) you know that's a problem um and also like the whole slight ickiness of like cross species sort of bestiality (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it it can be again it's it's something that can can have its problems but there are so many ways to think your way around them yeah definitely I've just read um Mark Leslie's um sort of short story um which is a sort of prequel to his um novel series um I'm just trying to remember the name of the series I can't remember what it's called um (laughs) but um the the character wakes up naked in a park in New York and is like oh no what what did I do last night? Because um, it was the full moon. And that's a really nice, really different um, exploration of the werewolf because it's we don't see the werewolf at all. It's all from the man's perspective and that he has no memory of what he did or he just has fragments of memory and he's going about his day trying to piece together what happened the night before. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a quite, a, quite a nice different look at the uh, the werewolf genre. Yeah, there is so much to be done with it, um, especially when you're opening it up to different kinds of shifters, which a lot of people do now, which is great. I want to, I want to see some um, unusual ones though. <laughs> <laughs> we need more, more, more un, unusual um, mm. um, shifters. One, one that I was watching a nature documentary about ibex and mm. the way they like jump around on sheer cliffs and I was like that would make a really cool <laughs> shift <laughs> story um yeah. but yeah we, we've talked about that before anyway um <laughs> so let's move on to our last classic monster that we're going to talk about is witches and we are both massive fans of the movie The Craft <laughs> <laughs> well well speak for yourself <laughs> Oh come on, you love it. I, you 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 may have abandoned it to your teenage years. I watch it several times a year. Still. I I know you do, and we have watched it together as well. And we have, yeah, yeah, it was really influential when I was fourteen. Yes. Um but yeah, I I wouldn't say I'm a big fan of it now. It's it's okay, but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and we we we've just got um coming out very soon is um the new one in the franchise I won't say that it's a sequel because um there is a bit of debate over that um but yeah so I'll be interested to watch that Mm. anyway um a bit of an unusual movie that you may not think about um that I really enjoy which I suddenly remembered also has a werewolf in it is uh the movie Big Fish um that has a witch character in it she has um she has an eye patch and when she lifts her eye patch you get to see your own 
death, how you're going to die. Um, but yeah, she's a really, really interesting character. You have other characters in in it that could possibly be witches as well. Um, that's one thing I find really interesting about the whole idea of the witch is that it's not necessarily the classic sort of pointy hat flies on a broomstick sort of idea of a witch um witches can basically it a witch can be any woman who falls outside of the patriarchal ideal of what a woman <laughs> should be and how a woman should be and you know we we know this from the times where they actually did did witch hunting mm-hmm. um you know they were hauling women up and trying them for witchcraft when they did nothing worse than fall outside the patri- patriarchal ideal of what a, what a woman is. So, you know, that's that's not um, something that's made up. That is something that is rooted in history. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And some books that I've read that um, come to mind is like The Miniaturist by Jesse Burton, um, again, not necessarily a witch. It's never stated that the miniaturist is a witch, but um, could well be. Mm-hmm. Affinity by Sarah Waters. Absolutely amazing book um, with, yeah, again, like women with paranormal abilities, not, you know, not necessarily an actual witch, but, you know, sort of dancing around that character idea of course Mm -hmm. stardust by neil gaiman um has some great witch characters in it and yeah we we can't not mention the blair witch project which (laughs) um had a massive effect on me i mean the first movie when it came out was an absolute like cultural milestone wasn't it you know it was the really it was the first of the um it kicked off the um sort of like hidden camera idea you know the um watching the whole thing through a camera that somebody is videoing um the sort of found footage genre came from the Blair Witch Project again it's a franchise I absolutely love um most people hated the second one uh it was full of problems it was very tropey and formulaic and yeah you know it wasn't a patch on the first one or even the third one um but I still liked it but I I really like cheesy horror so (laughs) yeah I mean the Blair Witch Project for me came at again a really influential time it was it came out just before I went off to uni to do film studies so you know hello um it was again like the ghost watch thing it was sort of marketed as being real um and you know people in America really bought into it they at at first really believed it was genuine this was found footage um and yeah I I was 17 I think that's right so yeah I was 17 I went to the cinema to see that and and it it did scare me um but not um I don't know um not like not like dark matter did like not <laughs> you know it was jump scares it wasn't like to my core terrified of 
you know, something, it was just, it was a bit more of the jump scare kind of thing. Um, a bit more superficial, I guess. Um, but I still thought it was incredibly clever filmmaking. Yeah. It, it hadn't it been done before. It was really different. Yeah. Um, and I still think it it stands up, you know, mm. as as being a really good piece of storytelling and um clever filmography. I, I yeah, definitely. Was- oh well. It definitely scared me. I went to see it with my sister. We uh, slept together in the same bed for three nights afterwards. <laughs> um, you know, and like you say, yeah, there's, there's, we were adults. Um, I was 18 or 19 when we went to see it. She's uh, two, two and a half years older than me, you know. But yeah, we, we slept in the same bed for three nights <laughs> after seeing the Blair Witch Project. In, in fact, I remember the day after we went out hiking in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> Just pure coincidence. It yeah. wasn't like, oh, let's go and see if we can find our own Blair Witch. It was pure coincidence. And we were both creeped the hell out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yes, it, the Blair Witch Project, something totally different. Mm. Um, the cleverest marketing sort of forever. Um, I, I don't, I honestly don't know if they did actually start marketing it online years before it was released, but I swear that about two years before the release of The Blair Witch, I read about this found footage mm. online. I mean, it may have, it may just be me linking two different completely unrelated stories, mm. or it may be that they started feeding marketing online like two years before the movie was released as you know pretending it was real stuff but yeah I was I'm absolutely certain that I read about it Mm. I think yeah I think they did you know because I by the time we got it here because we're going back you know guys to the 90s all right just to be completely (laughs) candid here this is um the internet was not (laughs) yeah the internet was in its infancy social Mm -hmm. media didn't exist yet um, yeah, no Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And um and we got in in the UK, we always got everything like six months or a year yeah. after the States. So by the time it came out here, the secret was out and I went to it knowing it wasn't real, but I yes. had heard about the reaction in America and the way everyone genuinely thought it was real. Um and I think they did drip feed the marketing really early. Yeah. I mean it- perception where that would have been when I was about 17 and certainly at that age I was um obsessed with the x-files and yes the internet had only just been installed in our home Mm. we hadn't had it very long and I spent probably most of my spare time trawling across the internet for exactly that sort of thing like all, all sort of paranormal investigation sort of stuff so yeah yeah that's how I would have come across it yeah but yeah Blair Witch mm-hmm. big big moment and uh, an- another series of books that I absolutely love at the moment um, which involve a whole host of different paranormal creatures including witches is uh, the Frey and the Grey series by Oscar de Muriel um, the- this series is the 
the genre it can be summed up as Victorian gothic horror paranormal crime thrillers. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's basically um, X Files on horseback. It's about a, a couple of um, detectives who go around solving the paranormal cases, but in Victorian England, well Scotland. To be fair, sorry, yeah, <laughs> Victorian Scotland. One of them is English, one of them is Scottish. Mm. Um, but yeah, really, really good series of books with lots of paranormal creatures in. Mm. You've recommended that before, and yeah. every time you mention it, I'm like, I must read that. <laughs> um, I can't believe we've got this far without mentioning Buffy. Um, talk about trope twisting, uh, and Buffy, obviously, it, you know, over its many years um did include everything we've talked about um and more um and yeah like you know from the very first scene in the very first episode it was twisting tropes so you had the you know defenseless young blonde you know walking down the school corridor and she was the vampire (laughs) Um, and then obviously Buffy is introduced herself and she's she's not a, a helpless girl um, who's going to get bitten she's the you know the chosen one and and she spends seven years saving the world a lot as it said on her tombstone that time she died um <laughs> so yeah I Buffy was amazing and I'm I re-watch Buffy regularly um and I'm actually currently doing a sort of a run through layering an angel watching all the episodes like in story order because I'm a total nerd and yes I have a spread in my bullet journal to track where I'm at um <laughs> so yeah I'm I'm a big big Buffy fan and everything they did with vampires and werewolves and witches and ghosts and more many many more things beyond they took every single one of those and twisted them and did something different with them and I will forever be thankful for Buffy I think a masterclass in storytelling and dialogue and everything so yeah (laughs) I could wax lyrical about Buffy all day (laughs) indeed (laughs) so that pretty much wraps up our topic for this week and instead of a would you rather question um Holly which one of our classic monsters that we've talked about do you think would win in a fight <laughs> brilliant <laughs> oh I and feel like the ghosts are kind of out of it because I mean then they're, they're not gonna die maybe the ghost just stands by and lets all the others fight and then wins by being the only one existing or by the end of it yeah <laughs> well of course in some in some belief structures and iterations ghosts can be you know if not exercised kind of you know helped to move on you know that's very true and maybe one of the witches could do that yeah (laughs) um but I think I it's it's too hard a question to answer because which iteration like Mm, talked about so many different examples (laughs) Um, <laughs> where who would you put your money on? Mine's got to go on where the werewolf. Werewolf, I think. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. mine would go on the werewolf. <laughs> Zombies can sometimes be a little bit um, crunchy and brittle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, zombies. The, what makes zombies scary is when they're in numbers. You know, 
one on their yes. own is not an issue but yes. it's absolutely millions yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why it's always a zombie apocalypse it's never just just one zombie is it like you know that actually that might be a bit genre breaking to do you know just one zombie or just a small group of zombies rather than a zombie apocalypse indeed that yes. begs to be written i wonder it? what would happen <laughs> not a lot i think actually <laughs> uh, yeah so yeah absolutely if you ever write that book <laughs> let us know <laughs> So just a reminder that this week we are going to be posting up questions for our Indie Fire Fire panel topics. So check out our Instagram and Facebook for those. And yeah, absolutely put your questions on there to ask to our panellists. And of course, do not forget to go and get your ticket for the event at IndieFire.uk. Until next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unstoppable Authors Podcast. We'll be back next week with more of our tenacity and worldly wisdom. If you want even more of us, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook and our show notes and heaps of helpful blog articles are at unstoppableauthors.com. We want to connect with you. Join our Guild of Unstoppable Authors via our website and you will not only hear from us every week, but you will also get a free digital copy of my book, 30 Days of Worldbuilding. We also have a Facebook group where we hold each other accountable, share our goals and successes and encourage each other to be unstoppable. You can find that at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash we are unstoppable authors. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. See you next week. <laughs>